Hello and welcome to the Three Musketeers podcast. Introducing the brothers behind it, Hamid and Hissam Amiri. Join them on their journey as they discuss unconventional topics from different perspectives. Real experience with key speakers around the world. Hello and welcome back to another episode of Three Musketeers podcast. Today we are joined by an amazing guest, Zara Mohammed. For those who don't know, Zara is, let's just say, she's breaking several first-offs in what she's doing. She became the first female president of Federation of Student Islamic Societies in 2001, but she also became the first female Secretary General of Muslim Council of Britain. So it's an honour to have you, Zara. And I hope I've done it justice, because I know and assume you've done so much more but I thought I'd go with the first off that you've ever done. Assalamualaikum and thank you so much, Hamid, for the kind introduction. There's probably been lots of introductions about me, so I quite like that it was very concise. I guess to help people understand, you know, my role and, and what I represent, I was, you know, a first of three, I guess, in that respect. The first female, the youngest, and also the first Scot, which I'm very proud of, um, to be the head of the most the largest and most diverse Muslim representative organization in the UK. So, you know, representing British Muslim communities, obviously our affiliates, which span from mosques, madrasas, charity organizations, women's organizations, sports organizations, and so on and so forth. So it's really a broad-based umbrella, non-sectarian, non-partisan, and quite an honor for myself to be the youngest uh, elected leader, but also the youngest person in the organization and the boss. So I guess it makes for quite an interesting experience so far. I did say I wouldn't do it justice. I think Zara kind of wrapped up so much better. On the Three Musketeers podcast, we look for people who, you know, we can learn something from them or we can be inspired. And I think we both agree here, me and Hassam, that you tick both of those boxes, just knowing your story and what you are doing and we'll, which we'll go into is pushing the boundaries and I hope we can learn something from this episode but also people out there too yeah and if we don't learn we've done a bad job as podcast hosts <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure you'll do great <laughs> so Zara let's just dive into it you know for you how did it all start uh, <laughs> I mean I guess with all things you're always drawn in some ways to the passions you know about and to the ones that you don't quite know about either. So I've, you know, as, as a younger person, I'm still pretty young. And, you know, I've always been quite passionate about community work, community change and getting involved, I guess, even just at a local level. But it wasn't probably until I got to university that I started to see the potential. You know, I kind of found the Islamic Society and, and I kind of decided, oh, this is really fun. And there's like lots of creativity and energy and I actually ran for student union president and that was because the student union asked me. They were like, we love how engaging you are with so many different groups of people and you're always kind of championing people to do good work. And my ideal was, you know, being practicing Muslim, I actually put my headscarf on at university. I just feel like my faith is something that inspires me to do more and to do good for everyone, you know, and that for everyone was really important. And then fast forward that journey a little bit you know, got involved in kind of Muslim student activism, which led me to FOSIS, you know, I kind of worked my way up the ranks, I worked hard, and then 
I ended up, you know, running for election for president, which again, I wasn't, I've never really had ambition for the position, but I think it was just the opportunity to change. And that was a real roller coaster. And then Harun Khan, the previous Secretary General of MCB, he kind of saw what I was doing. He's like, you should get involved in the MCB. And I was like, oh, I don't really know. It seems a bit older over there <laughs> and but grown up and, you know, coming from like this really energized student space, I didn't know if I would fit, but you know how it goes, people persuade you and then you end up getting sucked in. Um, but alhamdulillah, mashallah, it was a really, really good thing. I got kind of elected as the Assistant Secretary General. And I think with COVID, just being so involved in the leadership team, and even though I'm based in Scotland, I was previous to the pandemic, always traveling all over the UK, as far as Cornwall and Plymouth and Exeter. I've been to most cities in the UK, alhamdulillah. But in MCB, you know, with the COVID pandemic, you could just see, I mean, we were delivering over 50 webinars and guidance, you know, supporting our affiliates, giving communities that support and reassurance. And I think it kind of got me to a point where I realized that our organization had an even bigger challenge on its hand. That was really about the future and what our communities needed now and what was coming up. And I guess that's what really inspired me to run in the election, which was that I represented what I thought was actually, you know, women, young people, but also this idea of we need an organization that the whole community is on board with, you know. Yeah. And so that's kind of what got me here. I'm trying to unpick your amazing career that you just went through. We sit here with so many times talking to people and there's this concept of you know, being the first, you you hear it always in education and obviously sometimes in our community, you know, we've covered in a separate conversation where being from a BAME, you tend to go towards um, lawyer, accountancy and doctor, you know, your, your typical subjects because that's what you see other people go around. And I think for you, there's, you mentioned there's a lot of firsts in there, which is inspiring on its own. So for a lot of people listening, that holds them back. For you, how did you, was that an ever an issue? If so, how did you overcome that? Yeah, I think, you know, I mean, I guess unless it's in sports, <laughs> being a first can be quite daunting because it comes with it, this kind of microscope of people are really gonna critique you, you know? So th I think there's the positive and the negative. The positive is that there's no benchmark, right? So you are setting the standard but then the negative is people are always comparing you to the other side of it. So maybe if I'm the first female, they'll be comparing me to men or, you know, to other things in their head of what they think I should be able to do. But I think it's so important to remember the why. People always talk about that why. Why are you doing this? And I think for us, you know, faith inspires that. But there's also that idea that all of us have a gift. You know, we've all been blessed with a gift and if there's an opportunity, if God makes a way for you to share that gift, then why wouldn't you, you know, if, if the door is open to do it? So I think don't focus on yourself in that respect, focus on the cause, but also think about, you know, if you take that step, you're opening the way for so many others to follow. So with my election, so many other young girls and young, young boys and just people who are different thought, well, actually, maybe that could be me too. So, so I think you always have to keep that optimism but look it comes with sacrifice it comes with challenges and isn't that what's what makes anything um, great Interesting. <laughs> yeah which is the endurance <laughs> that you have to go through i think i want to expand on that because i'm looking at 
I think for me, there's something you mentioned, Zara, that is fascinating. And I came across a different conversation in a different topic. Do you feel sometimes when you're the first or when if I want to try something for the first time, I, I think we don't consider the benefit that is left behind us. So if you're first through the door doing something different, you're creating a path for others that never existed. And I think sometimes when you're there and doing it, you don't see it. It's almost like when you have to pause and look back and say, actually, it's more than just about me taking a, f- a first role in something or a chance at something different, but I'm actually creating opportunities for everyone after me. Yeah, it's exactly that. I think it's hard, I think, when you're in it because it's always so intense and there's emotions and fears. And I think I always say to people, you know, the person you got to get past is yourself. You know, the biggest obstacle in your way is you. And I always suffered from, you know, that imposter syndrome. Could it be? Can it be? me? And But if you park that and you put it to the side, you'll see the low-hanging fruit, which is sometimes the positive feedback or little wins or successes. But it tends to be after you're gone <laughs> that you see the greatest benefit. But I think what kind of keeps you going is all the people along the way that offer you that encouragement and support. So... I think it's always good to have in the back of your mind, but sometimes in reality it's hard because you're in this really intense space and experience. You don't always get to see the wins or even the good. Yeah. But, you know, it, it is a tricky balance, I think, yeah, always. And how is it for you that knowing you're on this journey and you are changing people's perception, people's life, people's views, people's ambitions? Well, it's a big responsibility. I mean, I feel very blessed and very humbled. And that's why I'm always so keen to engage with lots of new networks and audiences to share it as well. I feel like it's a shared win for everybody, a shared success. But it also is a driver for me in some ways. It's a bit of a self-discipline that I always kind of, in some ways, hold myself to quite a high standard and work ethic. Sometimes I do 9 a.m.s to 9 p.m.s a lot of the times. I'm working weekends and these are all very unhealthy habits. Please do not do this, (laughs) but disclaimer. But in some ways, it's like you feel that responsibility that you're, I'm not saying that I'm going to change it all or I'm going to do all of this stuff, but I'm saying with the position and the influence and the opportunities that I have, I've got to do something with all of this. So let me just share it and, and take people with me and apologize for my mistakes. So yeah, it makes for, I think you always feel that pressure, I guess, but pressure is good for you because pressure does create better performance. But again, in healthy doses, <laughs> I'm all for well-being. I think that's really important. So just take the good from that bit of sharing, not the negative. I was going to say, how does it feel when you won the general election? And then how did people react in terms of news and even your own family in the Mm. communities that's a great question oh gosh yeah i think i mean there was quite a big build-up towards it i think we had about two months of campaigning so you were allowed to campaign and stuff so you know it was really mixed i had a really tough contender you know who i have a lot of respect for as well and so it wasn't one of those things where you're like yeah i've got this i think it was always very you, it was always really uncertain all the way up into the point. But the closer we got to the result, the more it felt. I felt the intensity of it and I felt 
oh my gosh, like this could be quite real. So when we heard the result, I definitely, it was one of those out of body experiences, very dramatic. I think for me, to be honest, that was all okay. Because you knew, right, either you're gonna win or lose. So I'd prepared for both mentally. The bit that got me like in this overwhelmed place was how the rest of the world took it. <laughs> and I say world because it went crazy. I mean, it was local, national and international media. I was, I think for about a week, I don't know how many interviews. I know in one day I do about nine interviews. I was doing print, radio, TV, broadsheets. I was doing, uh, you know, just everything under the sun. And I was like, Vogue featured me, World Economic Forum. I just couldn't understand why this was such a big, I think I didn't understand the gravity of what it was. I don't think my family really understood what what exactly was going on either. Because they're like, my mom's like, sick of buying newspapers. Can you stop being, <laughs> being in them? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. She goes, I, I can't, you know, I can't keep up with this. And I don't think they really understood what exactly I was doing, you know. But when it was like official, then they were like, oh, okay. And then it was my extended families, you know. It's like all families, they don't really know what you do, but they kind of know. I had like cousins far away and extended family saying, I just saw you on Sky News. Is that you? Or they sent me a video clip. Is that you? <laughs> and I was like, yeah, okay, that's great. So so I think it was quite overwhelming. Obviously, everyone was really positive and it was really supportive. I will say, though, there was a little section of the media that was very, very critical and very negative. And I think um, it's quite a famous interview of mine. So maybe the listeners yeah. will know about that, right? You <laughs> know what you're talking about. Yeah, right. I think there was YouTube. There was a lot of people that had a lot to say about that. And, and I'm thankful for all the support. But there was still, you know, on the back of this really positive um, news. And I think for the Muslim communities, it was such a big win. Alhamdulillah. And we had this like external voice still telling us oh, she's just a puppet, it's just a token, doesn't really mean anything. Um, but at the same time, I was just like, well, mosques voted for me, imams yeah. voted for me, men voted for me. So I don't know what stereotypes you have in your head, but please wake up to the fact that things are different and that a woman is in charge. <laughs> so, so anyway, what can you do? Does that anger you or drive you? Uh, definitely the latter, yeah. Definitely the latter. I mean, from an outsider perspective, I think it was good to see so much coverage um, being given to the Muslim Council of yeah. Britain. First, every time I want to say Muslim Council of Wales, so yeah, well, it's not; it's Britain. Yeah, just get, <laughs> or, I mean, at least right. go for Scotland if you're going to get it wrong. <laughs> <laughs> at least I have us represented over there. But no, it was good to have that amount of coverage, and I think. It broke so many stereotypes that people sort of have about our religion. Yeah. Yeah, 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 and most of us, like you know, we've always said it, like no, no. And it was on mass amount of media, except that one interview, which did it all good justice. Yeah, definitely. I mean, what was really nice for me was when I got elected. The first live interview I did was on BBC. I think it was the six PM news, and. You could kind of say it was a bit of a test case because it's like a lot of people didn't know who I was still. Because I, I mean, compared to some of the community figures, you know, I'm not a prominent person in the 
the grown-up space, I guess you could say. I'm still pretty young and still, I've earned some stripes, but I'm not there in the prominent side. So when I did that interview, it was so nice to have so many British Muslims who just didn't know me on the comments saying, thank God, articulate, young, female, and someone who can represent us in the way that we want to be represented. And I'm not saying that I represent everybody, but for me, it was just reassuring that people felt that confidence in my ability. And since I've been elected, I've done so much media, some of the tougher stuff, you know, there's, there's always been lots to respond on. But I always see like, it's my responsibility to make sure that the voices that we, you know, the people we represent, you know, that we put their views out there, because otherwise, who else is going to do it, you know, and I think, that's what I'm trying to do with the organization, which is to make everybody feel like the MCB is theirs too. You know, that shared ownership and that direction of travel is that, you know, we want to talk about things like the environment, refugees, we're always talking about COVID, but you know, that there are things that matter to all different parts of our communities, young people, women, underrepresented groups. So I want to make sure that we have that diverse view and diverse voices incorporated in what we do. And I think that's what's so critical to breaking stereotypes because my experience has taught me people still think we're one homogenous block. We all look the same. We all talk the same. And we do this. And you know what I mean? We're still this caricature Muslim. No, you're, you're 100% right. And I think this is where what you're doing is so crucial. So on thousands and millions of people that already support you know that myself and Hassan are also rooted for you and... It's an honor not to just have you talking to us, but also an honor for you to represent us because I've had experiences where I'm not going to make a reference of, you know, when and who, but I sat having a meal with someone for the first time for an event for the next day. And I said, I don't drink based on my religion. And she said, do you find me intimidating? And I said, no, why? She goes, because I'm a female and I have a very senior role. And I said, what is that to go to the religion? she goes well you know that's I thought you know you guys and she didn't say in that way but it, you know I could read between the lines and I said to her I don't know what you've read or seen but my mom she's the boss in the house you know she has the final say so what you're doing resonates that my mom wears hijab and she's proud of it and she's ever been and it doesn't justify who she is her ideas and, and what she wants to do and I think I love that you're a representation of a lot of people, a lot of sisters, a lot of mums, a lot of Muslims. So mm-hmm. I know you've probably heard it, but know from me personally and Hassam that you are making a difference and we are rooting for you. So I just had to say out there because you were just talking about, oh. you know, well, your Well, thank you both so much. And that's why, you know, I was really delighted to accept your offer to come on the podcast and to make time for it. And I've heard some of your inspirational story as well. And I just think that we have such a responsibility on our shoulders because just that little example you gave me, I have so many more stories. And the problem that we're facing is it's not just, you know, like local communities and and racism, but it's in the professional world. It's institutional. It's people's abilities to get opportunities or discrimination at work or just this idea of othering, you know, the impacts and I'm like third generation now, so I'm thinking seriously. I got asked so many ridiculous questions <laughs> during my media interviews. Do I think it's okay for little girls not to wear the headscarf? I'm thinking seriously, I've been elected the leader of this organization and this is what you want to ask me. 
but but I, I just always think, okay, you know what? It's okay. We're getting there. We're gonna get there. And you know, I think for the this is why I always talk about the future. It's so important that we professionalize our institutions and our organizations. We make them more diverse. But we do have that external partnership and building to do as well. When we talk about Islamophobia, I say it's not a Muslim issue, it's a societal issue and all of society needs to tackle it. And that's kind of my philosophy throughout the whole thing, which is we don't want to be an insular community. We actually want to share the best of what we have and work and, and serve you know, the whole of humanity because that is part of who we are. And where there are specific issues that really impact us, we need to build allies to support us through those because we're just the latest scapegoat, right? In history. Yeah. But everybody has gone through something. You're right. And let's piggyback on what you just said. So in your time, um, the, what, what would you like to achieve during your time in MCB? What are your ambitions? What are your goals? Okay. Yeah. So I actually, before I came in, I always say to myself, right, if I'm going to sign up to it, I want to have a really clear sense of what I want to achieve, you know, keep the end in mind because time passes and with all leadership roles, you just have all these grand ideas and then nothing ever happens. So I set three kind of key strategic priorities. Um, the first one was our COVID, I guess, response recovery now with a key focus on mental health and economic recovery. I think our communities have suffered so much, especially with bereavement and loss. And I know people are going through really challenging issues, suicide and young people. Um, domestic abuse, you know, there's a lot going on and I think we really need to support communities, give them strategies. We're actually hoping to organize a mental health conference in October and we're working with different partner organizations. And of course, we've been providing guidance and good practice for mosques all over the country. So continuing that. The second one, which is my favorite, is diversity and inclusion. And that is focusing on women, young people and underrepresented groups. So I'm changing the way that we're engaging with our stakeholders, especially with mosques, you know, looking at how do we make these spaces inclusive of lots of different groups within our societies, but also how do we build better bridges? Also looking at employment. Muslim women are the most marginalized when it comes to employment, especially if you're visibly Muslim women. And looking at young people and opportunities and then underrepresented groups. I've already added like so much diversity to my national council, but we have a, a group called uh, the Proudly Black and Muslim um, campaign. And so there's loads of work around that. And then the final one is about advancing Muslims in public life. And that's not just about tackling Islamophobia, but that is about our engagement in wider society, you know, being included, feeling included and participating, you know, whether that's in the electoral process or just in different institutions and organizations and I think being part of society so those are kind of my three kind of big areas social mobility and all that but I guess in a nutshell what I really want to drive towards is a looking at inward professionalizing diversifying and then outward is really representing and advocating for better societies and, and looking at the issues that British Muslims are facing and, and making a real dent for change um, and I think if I could, by the end of it all, if I can establish another great leadership team to continue the work, I'd be pretty happy with that. Well, I think you've got, those are like crazy yet amazing um, visions that you have because we've talked on separate occasions about diversity and inclusion and we've actually got a, a guest in a week or two. I think her motto, which I love is black, Muslim and a hijabi. And I love that because it's, 
And we want to have more guests like that because we want to, just like what you're doing, we want to simply show to people just because someone is Muslim or they're wearing a hijab or the color does not dictate their aspirations and where they should get to. But unfortunately, and we're not going to have a, a political conversation here because I'm holding myself back. Unfortunately, I've, there's been so many occasions where that has blocked or slowed down or sometimes haven't been given a fair chance so what you're doing i think is powerful and again if i've not said already you've got two more advocates here so if there's anything we can do in a professional experience please feel free to give us a shout yeah well welcome to the team i'll just add you in <laughs> don't worry i'll let the there more the merrier i think just give me a hi with zara <laughs> But do remember she said at the start is a lot of hard work. And it's 9, 9, a.m., 9 a.m. to 9 p.m. The well-being. Did she not say about well-being? How do you escape? Yeah, okay. What did we just sign up for? 9 a.m. to 9 p.m. and no, you know, well-being. No, 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 no. <laughs> I'll keep it lightweight just to start and then we'll increase it as we go. But certainly, We just know there'll be no swearing because we're keeping it clean. I know that We're keeping for sure. it clean. Absolutely. <laughs> we're keeping it clean and uh, very, you know, inclusive. If I flip the coin on his head, how has it been from the community? Because obviously, we do have being Muslims. We're aware of you know you have yeah different sectors, different sort of branches of Islam. That, and how has that so how has it been for you from that perspective? Because mm-hmm. that's a whole different challenge, isn't it? Look, the hardest challenge is always the <laughs> the internal one. I mean, on a whole our wide affiliate base has been very supportive. So I think I wouldn't have been in this position if, if that wasn't the case. But I think we do have issues within our communities, you know, and they are, you know, everything from marriage and divorce, domestic abuse, to the employment, Islamophobia, Palestine. I mean, just a couple months in, we had an international crisis, you know, we've had Batley, we've had local elections there's you name it it's happened and all of these things have a knock-on effect you know i think palestine was was so profound for so many you know i think it really just we had schools as well being impacted young muslims so we have a lot of stakeholder management to do and i always try and balance because i the way i see it is we want to think about long-term and sustainable change and taking people with us and the great thing is that, um, alhamdulillah, I've been very blessed that, you know, speaking to our different stakeholders on all the different theological parts of the framework, Yeah, people are vested in helping. You know, there's the commonality is there. It's just working with people at their level and at their pace. And that's what I'm trying to do. So some of the initiatives that I can share with you that I'm hoping to kind of work on are things like a, a mandatory premarital course in Moss all over the country, you know, I feel oh, like, wow. right? So something like yeah. that could be great because rather than focusing on the end of the problem, why don't we look at just preparation and training and, and part of that should include what is toxic behavior, what is unhealthy, and maybe even a module for parents. So something like that. And I feel like as the MCB, we can get our stakeholders on board. Maybe we only get 20 moss, 10, I don't know, but something like that can make a real positive difference. You know, we're looking at inclusion and diversity. I've been speaking to convert communities, black Muslim communities, and you know, all the di- all the wonderful diversity that we have and just saying, well, just listening. What is it that you guys want now? Because what I think is really interesting is, you know, when we've got say a multiracial household and yeah. then we've got like a new generation of young people coming through. And you know, my little sister, she's 16. And I always think 
we probably come from more of a, a stronger cultural identity at least but the younger lot they don't have that same attachment to culture and if you've got like mixed parentage and the faith as well how do you know where you belong you know so i feel like those are the things we've got to think about ahead and and our institutions our, our place of worship our mosques our madrasas they need to be inclusive of the fact that we've got a different kinds of community now coming through so these are kind of some of the bigger things that i'm looking at but absolutely it's always uphill and there's lots to do and you're balancing priorities and what one person might think is important others won't and i have i'm always trying to juggle to make sure that the reactive stuff as well as the long term gets the right amount of time but it's really challenging and i think that's what makes this job hard <laughs> but also very beneficial if you can make it through i think i'm rethinking me working for zara the, the just, offer the offer is, yeah it's just you know it's Don't challenging go, and guys. <laughs> you just started um yeah i think i was reading something in the guardian when you said I'm as about as different as it gets to traditional leadership in our community. Do you think also being the youngest member elected as well, you have a lot more connection with the younger generation? Because things have changed a lot. Even when I look back to the younger people in school now. When, when you were young is what you're trying to say. No, no. When, when I look back, <laughs> I'm still young. <laughs> so things have changed. Do you How th- old are you both? Ooh. I'm 26. I'm 31. Well, that's okay. We're okay, guys. No, I'm 29. <laughs> we're okay. We're, we're fine. We're, yeah, we're fine. We're, we're at the side of 30. No, but even, e- even when I talk to a lot of young people that go to school, things are totally different to compared to when I was in school. Because then they're a lot yeah. more worried about their job when they're doing GCSEs. And they're like, oh, what do I do in case stage three? And I'm going, these things weren't in my head. So Because obviously there's more competition and pressure. Do you feel like you can sort of bridge the gap now between all generations almost like yeah i mean i feel definitely like the opportunity i mean even though like we say the three of us that we're young (laughs) what's even younger than us and what's going on is so different you know we like tiktok okay we're not going to talk about tiktok but instagram tiktok like youtube like just everything is just even more different and i think being i actually have found that my age has been the biggest challenge in this role not my gender, but my age. And I think the way young people are perceived in leadership and the way, the simplicity sometimes that people attribute young people's problems is also, it doesn't help. So for example, we know that even within young people, there's so much diversity, right? I used to always have this idea that, oh, everybody went to university. Well, actually a lot of young people don't. Um, Everybody's got families that can take care of them no they don't you know and our communities come from some of the most socioeconomic deprived you know when you have that bigger understanding when we talk about young people and being a young person i do feel that i have that advantage to convey in our policy making in our decision making that let's not be too quick and hasty as to what we think young people need you know we need to talk to them but we also need to think about the long term here because COVID has changed things and exasperated things. And, you know, whether it's mental health or even just education itself and people's opportunities. So I think that definitely it puts me at an advantage, but I don't take it for granted because then I'm like, one of the first events that I did for, for International Women's Day was um, inspiring young girls to lead. 
and invited 11 year olds, I think 10, 10 to 11 year olds to 16 year olds. And they could just ask me whatever they wanted. And I did it on purpose because I wanted the MCB to be connected to an even younger audience. And I tell you what, they asked me about making friends, being bullied, and they asked me about having the confidence to do what they wanted to do. One of the girls wanted to be a paramedic. But my favorite was this little 11 year old girl who said, very officially, congratulations, Zara. Really, really great achievement. Well done. I was like, thank you very much. And she goes, I want to be a great leader. I want to be a good leader. What can I do? And I said, just be a good 11 year old. That is enough. <laughs> you know, just enjoy yourself, have some cookies and cake. And I was like, oh my God, is your mom there? She's like, yeah. I said, well, just forget I said that. <laughs> but just enjoy yourself and be comfortable with who you are, like, like yourself. And I think. And it just was such an inspiring event because it kind of brought home to me that young Muslims, what they're going through, they're actually being quizzed for their faith, quizzed for being different, and they have all these aspirations and they need mentors and role models like us to tell them, not only do you not need to just be the doctor, but you can if you want, but there's a whole world out there for you and you can be part of that. And I think that's kind of how I always come back to it. But you're always going to be practical and realistic on these things too, which is, well, what can I tangibly do to help them? And that's when it comes, you know, a little bit trickier. That's really interesting. I think Zara also described our job description for a second. If you missed that, there will be, you know, what could be doing, just just so you know. We'll have to go back on the recording. But I think for me, you said something about the age became... Um, more of a challenge than being the first woman and female. And pick is the wrong word because I it's a challenge I've had for years. Um, you know, we talked about age and obviously I'm slightly older than both of you, which feels really, really weird because I'm still very childish. But I've had that as well. So I've gone into roles where uh, people reported into me and most of them are older than me. And if someone asked me the typical question, what are your strength and weakness? I won't say it's my weakness, but I always say for me, what's held me back is my age because I'm conscious that people associate X amount of experience in your CV. It's a tangible way to measure and not life experience. Um, does that make any sense? Or is that something that you've had to unpick? In yeah, that makes perfect sense. One of the interviews I did, the lady said to me, you know, normally the person sitting in your role right now would be around 40, 50 years old. Mm. And because the, we see these roles, you need wisdom, right? Do you think you have that wisdom? And the association is the older, the wiser, right? Or the older, the more experienced or capable. And you're always up against that. And I just said, well, I've got more energy. <laughs> I'm willing to learn. I'm passionate. And I feel like we're always kind of, it's this comparative exercise rather than just judging, you shouldn't even judge, but rather than assessing you for what you can do based on your abilities, you're always kind of pitched off this other idea of what makes a leader. And that's why I said, you know, I'm, I'm different, but that doesn't mean I'm any less capable. So I think ageism is really, really tricky. And it's because globally, culturally, across all traditions, how young people, although, you know, we have even in our faith, the acknowledgement that actually there is a lot of wisdom in young people and leadership. But when it comes to reality, I've had that comment, well, I've been doing this for 30 years. What do you know? <laughs> you know, uh oh. So I think when the reality comes, 
whether people are willing to put their pride aside, whether people can put their insecurities away, I don't want to offend this person, but I have to get this done. And how do I communicate so that they understand are in charge? And, and I've had situations where it's like, you know, sometimes you just have to lay it on the line or lay it down, you know, just say it as it is, right? Say Straight. It is. <laughs> Let's say it as it is, right? You just got to say it. And there's no, there's no way to pretty it up. <laughs> there's no way to soften it. You just, something has gone down and you got to just call it. And you know it's going to make for an uncomfortable conversation. But I think my top tip, if you want to be a great leader, is get used to difficult conversations because they're the makings of greatness. If you can, If you can take on someone more senior, whether it's in their mindset or in their experience, I always think go back to values and principles, maintain good etiquette, but ultimately you have to do what you think is right. And if you kind of waver and you give people their way just because they're older and it's not objective, in the end, you're making a bad decision. It's not even your decision, though. You're making someone else's bad decision. And I think that's the tricky balance. But yeah, it's it's so challenging. I was going to say that guy who said he's got 30 years um, over you sounds like the same guy I, I spoke to. So maybe we'll, we'll cross the name and see if it's the same person. <laughs> I think I want to do a round circle. I think you've mentioned loads, but there's one thing you, you'd hope to achieve in the next few years. But also there's one thing you want people to take away from what you're doing, from this podcast, from the way you're presenting yourself, which is, as you said, be the best version you can be and have that passion and have that drive. What would that be? And just before I, I, I let Zara go, Hesam, you're going next, just so you know, before you make any excuses that, you know, I didn't give you a chance. Sorry, Zara, over to you, because I'm just preempt, preempting her some... <laughs> no, you know, that's fine, yeah, everyone's fully aboard. Yeah, okay, I guess in terms of, like, you know, what I would like to achieve and, and I guess my message to others, for me, it's always about what you leave behind. If I can leave the organisation in a really growth space and, you know, fill it with some really wonderful, diverse, talented and inspiring leaders, I'd be quite happy... Just, you know, sometimes it's like if you can create and facilitate a structure that will do that, I feel like that's what good legacy is because I don't get to control the impact we have on others. I can just do my bit and effort. And I think it starts from what you do have control over. And aside from that, I think benefiting, you know, Muslim communities and wider society in, in whichever way or form, and whether that's through positive representation, challenging conversations, but also just in small ways that we can change things for everybody's benefit. Inshallah, I'd be happy with that. I think my message to others is that sometimes it helps knowing that there are people that look like you or think like you or have the same faith as you in these different positions. But actually, you know, God has given us all some uniqueness. That means that my mom always said, you know, be your own benchmark to success. So actually, you're just competing against yourself. So if you can figure out what your gift is, and that's the thing that comes easiest to you, doesn't require any money, much effort. It's just the thing is for some people, it's being great communicators. For others, it's their ability to make someone feel better. For others, it's sports, it's technical, it's whatever it is, we all have that within us. I think that's the thing you should focus on. And don't be so hard on yourself on the journey to figuring out who you are, because actually that journey is just endless. It goes on and on. And I think those little bits, all you know, to conclude on my side, is that 
for me, this all of this is really about leadership and what makes a good leader, a great leader, is not about you actually. <laughs> it's about the benefit that you can give to others, but that requires you to be better. So actually leadership is a process of self-betterment and realizing that it's okay to not know everything and it's okay to slip up so long as you're willing to improve yourself to rectify that. So so I think that's it. Hopefully I did I answer all of those points. I think you have. And yeah, okay, uh, great. I'm now looking at Hesam to see what be his amazing, insightful philosophy. <laughs> Let me just get my philosophy book out. Uh, <laughs> no, th- there's a word that I think Zara used, legacy. And I've, and I've heard and I've read in the past. What legacy is? <laughs> what, what, what a few people have been saying about legacy is in you want to leave or make a path in terms of legacies. And so people will go, oh, okay, X, Y, Z stood for this person and did this. So I'll always tell myself and others, follow your legacy and don't be afraid to shake some trees. Wow. Uh, um, and I'm just going to close my philosophy book. That was uh... <laughs> <laughs> I, I, know I think we you. should all just start shaking those trees. <laughs> uh, that was, uh, you surprised me. That was good. I think for me, it's time. So due to personal journey, without going into it, I think 2018, we lost someone very close to us. And that taught me that we're around in this world. Now, you know, if you're a Muslim or not, we all know we have limited time in this world. And I think what I learned for myself and what I advise others is enjoy every minute, but also know that you might have 10, 50, 60, 70 years. So try your best to make a difference. But also give it all. Because by the time, you know, I'm 40, 50, 60, 70, I look back, I won't have the same energy. I won't have the same mental capacity. I won't have the same, you know, hunger, drive, just the nature of body. So know that we have a limited time in this world and use that to your advantage. Give it all. Be grateful. Be humble and just be thankful. And every second of the day, when you see someone around you, a smile wouldn't take anything away from you. So for me is know your time is limited and give it all. How was that? I didn't have a philosophy book to make a reference to. <laughs> I don't even know what else to say. Um, it was good. I think that was good. You're right. Thanks, Sarah. I, sure. I, I, at least one person acknowledged that he was okay. I, was, I'm okay. going to give it to you. So, I'll give you... Well like, done. That was, that was, <laughs> I thought that was, that was like a s- sympathy. It's a sympathy and empathy. Just you know, just let him have a thank you. Let him get one. <laughs> <laughs> uh, editor, can you please cut this bit out? Honestly, Zara, it's been an absolute pleasure. It's been fun. It's been inspiring listening to you and what you've achieved and what you will go on to achieve. I think all I can say from my perspective and, and Hesam for both of us here, just a big thank you for your time today. We will be sharing whatever you're happy with regarding social media or links to the podcast. And as I said, all I can say is we look forward for the next few years and what you'll go on to achieve and how many more firsts you will go to break. And I'm sure you will. Um, a thank you for both of us, I guess. No, it's been an absolute pleasure to join you both. It's been fun, insightful, very philosophical. So good to know. But thank you. And I'm happy for you guys to share I think this is such a wonderful podcast and hopefully it will benefit many people. And yeah, I guess you guys are coming with me though, right? So uh, we'll be 
It's been an absolute pleasure. Uh, thank you all. Um, thank you. Thank you for that. That was actually amazing. Thank you for listening to another episode of The Three Musketeers, hosted by Hamid and Hissam Amiri. Don't forget to share and follow, as more thought-provoking episodes with guests around the world will be appearing soon. See you soon.